We're going to be in, uh, in Psalm 41, if you would turn there, Psalm 41 in your Bibles, please. Love that song, love that, uh, love that psalm as well, Psalm 23, as uh, Steve just sang. What, what a beautiful, uh, beautiful song. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, uh, I'm just going to turn there real quick to Psalm, keep going to Psalm 41. But it, the, the promise there of, of that song starts off right at the beginning. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. And it's, it's really, really important for us to understand that the promises that come in that psalm and through the rest of that and in the song you just sang uh, are for those who have made the Lord their shepherd, right? Who have come to him in faith and uh, entrusted in the mercy and grace and love of God. And that kind of takes us to Psalm 41 here in just a minute. But uh, before we get there, I, I just wanted to make sure uh, our, whole, our whole church family was aware that uh, Nikki Hayes passed away on, uh, on Friday night and... Uh, just to be in prayer for uh, Chuck, her husband, and her family, um, her daughters and son, and uh, just as that family mourns, and uh, they actually um, left mid, uh, mid-morning uh, Saturday to go just be on the coast together. They have a home over there, and uh, so the family is there for the week just uh, being together. So we're going to stop and pray for not only our service right now and the Word, but we're going to pray uh, for um, Chuck and, uh, and the whole family. Can we do that? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for... Uh, the grace of God that we see in the face of Jesus Christ. And God, we, we put our hope and our trust in him. And as we come together, we come uh, pro- professing that faith as brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, I'm, thankful, uh, I'm so thankful for uh, the faith and the love uh, and the support that you've given to our family through Chuck and Nikki Hayes. And God, as uh, our sister Nikki has gone to be with you, um, God, we, we mourn that. But we also know there's hope in the glory of God. We thank you that she is free from suffering and free from pain um, and with you. And God, I, I just pray for Chuck as, uh, as he is now left behind. And uh, God, in the, in the coming weeks and months, uh, that you would make your presence aware uh, and near to him. God, that he would feel that strength. He would feel the strength and presence of not only you, but your people. As we gather around in any ways that uh, we can serve and come alongside um, him or the rest of the family, we, we want to be a support to them. So uh, God, just give us that that strength to do that. And God, I, I am just so grateful and reminded often of, of those who have faith, faith in Christ. We, we do not mourn as those who have no hope. And we thank you for the hope we have in Christ. We thank you for the hope that Nikki has in Christ and the, the hope realized right now. Um, and God, for the hope that, that we all share. And uh, while we miss her and we will mourn that, we, we do not mourn as those without any hope. So God, tonight or today as we uh, look into your word, I, I pray that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to it. God, that you would, you would convict us of anything inside of us that's, that's not in line with your word, that's sin. And God, that we would, we would desire eagerly to delight in you and, and, and be a delight to you by the way we live our lives, by the way we obey you, by the way we love and enjoy our faith in you. God, thank you for these psalms that we have been able to go through. God, thank you for your word. I pray that it would conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. All right, so we are in Psalm 41. This is the last psalm of what is called Book 1 of the Psalms. So uh, that's why we're going to stop after this week. We're going to move on to another series, and we'll come back next year uh, in the summer and uh, begin again in in chapter 42 of Book 2. Um, and what's interesting, as I, as I started preparing for this psalm and reading through it, you see some more lament going on. You see more of David saying, man, I'm having a really tough time. There's a lot going on around me. But as you really look at this psalm, uh, it is more of a psalm of thanksgiving 
and is, is meant to be a didactic psalm or, a, or an instructive psalm, an educational psalm, which I thought was appropriate, that the very last psalm of book 41 and the last psalm that we will uh, enjoy together would be uh, a learning psalm, a psalm to say, what, what can we sum up? What have we learned thus far? Right? So many of these psalms that we've read through have been descriptive, and it's like David just calling out, this is where I'm at, this is what's going on. Uh, certainly we learn from those, but today uh, I think we need, need to learn a little bit uh, more clearly of what David is doing to sum this up. He sums up uh, a recent account and, uh, and, 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 a recent and, and recent ones in his past, um, but he's, he's wanting to convey to us what we should know and what we should do. So today's title is, <clears throat> When You Think All Is Lost. When You Think All Is Lost. What, what should our motivation? What should our focus be? What should we learn? What should we cling to when we think and feel that all is lost? All right, I'm going to read the scripture in its entirety, Psalm 41, if you want to follow along with me, and then we will break that down. Psalm 41. For the choir director, a psalm of David. Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in a day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him, and, uh, and he will be blessed in the land. You will not give him over to the desires of his enemy. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed, and you will heal him on the bed where he lies. I said, Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak maliciously about me. When will he die and be forgotten? When one of them comes to visit, uh, he speaks deceitfully. He stores up evil in his heart. He goes out and talks. All who hate me whisper together about me. They plan to harm me. Something awful has overwhelmed him, and he won't rise again from where he lies. Even my friend, in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. But you, Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up. Then I will repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy does not shout in triumph over me. You supported me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. This is God's word. All right, so we're going to look at this and, and look at when all hope is lost or feels like we, it's lost and we're, we're like, what do we do now? What can we learn from David? What is David trying to teach us? And again, this was to be sung in the church. This was given to the church to say that this is for the choir director, uh, that, that it should be sung in the church with God's people. So this is, this is what we do. When we come and we sing songs, we are, again, preaching to ourselves, right? We are hearing God's word through music, and we are letting it resonate in our hearts. So when we leave, not only have you heard the spoken, preached word of God, you've heard the sung word of God, and that when we go out, we can't help but have the word of God in our hearts. So this is what's happening here as well. David says, I want you to sing about this. You need to know this. I'm going to sum it up, and you need to sing this in the church. So what do we see here? When you think all is lost, number one, that we need to value mercy. Value mercy. Look at the first three verses of this text. Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. This is like the Beatitudes, right? Sermon on the Mount, Jesus. Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in the day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him. He will be blessed in the land. Uh, you will not give him over to the desires of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. You will heal him on the bed where he lies. We are to value mercy. And David said it right off the bat. 
You're going to be happy. You're going to be blessed is the one who is considerate of the poor. We're going to look at a few texts about this, but, but what I want you to understand, and you can write in your notes on this, is that mercy begets mercy, or, or mercy follows more mercy, and, and mercy, and then mercy. And mercy, uh, it cycles through. And we're going to see how this happens. There's a, a story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus uh, is, is uh, talking about and shares um, in Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there with me, you certainly can. You can keep your finger here on Psalm 41. We're going to learn more about this mercy. What does this mercy look like? And why do we want to show mercy? We're going to answer some of these questions. Uh, we must value mercy, right? Luke 10, beginning in verse 25. It says, then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that is a pretty important question to figure out the answer to, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? So you're asking Jesus this. We better pay attention and look and see what Jesus says. Now, he is also trying to trip him up probably a little bit. Like, oh, let's, let's, let's make, him, make him out to be the phony that he is. Jesus saw through that. He, he responded, what is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? Don't you love how Jesus answers a question with a question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? I don't know. What must you do to inherit eternal life? He answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Insightful. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. It's pretty straightforward. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that love that's transformative will, will change the way you love people. But then he, the, 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 he goes in, the, the expert in the law, he says, uh, want, wanting to justify himself, right? That's, that's always a bad place to start a question, to ask a question. I, I want to justify my actions, so I'm going I'm to poke a little deeper here. <clears throat> Why can't you just love God and love people? Well, let's, let's see. Wanting to justify himself, he asked, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I, I want to pause here because I think it's very important for you and I to ask that question as well. I think we love to love the lovable. We love to show mercy to those who might show mercy back. We're, we're great at that. And, and in fact, the world is great at that. And he's asking, who's my neighbor? Who, who must I really love and who, who can I get away with not loving? So Jesus took up that question and said this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and, and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him. They beat him up and fled, and leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. Now, this is, this is blowing their minds right now as he speaks. He's turning it all around on them and pointing out their flaws that you wouldn't stop for this fellow that's on the road. In fact, you wouldn't stop, but your mortal enemies, the people that you despise the most, the Samaritan, let's include him. Jesus could have said anyone else. Like Another gentleman happened down, a Jew happened down. He said a Samaritan, right? And we get the term what from this story? The good Samaritan, right? A Samaritan stopped, and the Samaritan showed compassion. So compassion must be something involved with <clears throat> loving your neighbor, right? That's what Jesus is answering the question about. 
So the Samaritan went over to him and bandaged his wounds and pouring olive oil on him and wine. Uh, and he went out, uh, then he put him on his own animal and brought him into an inn and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. That's pretty impressive, right? Pretty impressive care. Which of these three, Jesus asked, do you, do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? So the, the, the question was, who's a neighbor or who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, who proved to be a neighbor? Do you see how he answered that question? We love that, don't we? We love to say, well, who do I need to love? Who should be my neighbor? And Jesus says, it's not about finding the neighbor to love. It's about being a neighbor. He goes on, right? He says, which of these three do you suppose was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. You know, we, we often might look around and we want to try to figure out you know, who might be worthy of our good graces. Like, oh, that person there, that, they're worthy of my time and my energy and, and my money or my, my good graces, right? Or, or they're, they're at least friendly enough that I could approach them and, and take a risk with them because they seem uh, not so risky. But that's not the point here, is it? It's not about defining who your neighbor is. It's about being a merciful neighbor. But what we have to understand is that, that this will reveal the heart. And if we aren't showing mercy, if we aren't a merciful neighbor, and we're still asking the question, who do I really need to love? It reveals that the heart has not itself received mercy. Do we get that? Because mercy begets mercy. And if I'm not neighborly enough to show compassion and mercy to anyone then it says something about the mercy that I likely have not received myself. Because mercy will change and transform us. Showing mercy is a fruit of having truly experienced mercy. Amen? Matthew 5. This is the Beatitudes. David wanted to start with a Beatitude. Happy are, blessed are, the consider of the poor. Jesus said this as well. But he, before he said that, he said there needed to be a heart transformation. He showed this, this pro progression. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I go through that fast because I, I've gone through it so many times with you, but, but here's what it is. You and I have had to come to a point in our lives when we were poor in spirit, that we mourned over our own sin and our own desperate need of a Savior, that it made us humble and meek. Like it just, it wrecked us to the point of absolute humility, humiliation, right? It, we said, I'm, I'm, I'm ruined. I have nothing to offer anymore. I'm empty. And, and when we get really, truly empty, and that emptiness, that humility comes from being poor in spirit over our sin and separation from God, we will hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when we hunger and thirst for his righteousness, what's the promise? We will be Filled, we'll be satisfied, right? We will be filled. And, and once we are filled with his righteousness, it's no longer I that lived, but Christ lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's he that lives. And, and then he begins to do something in my heart, and he begins to produce a fruit. Let's look at the next beatitude here as it goes down the list. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Then it says, blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. 
There's now a fruit when we are filled with God and we are, we've emptied ourselves of us and we've come to him in faith and found his salvation and found his forgiveness and are totally satisfied in him. He starts to do a work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, producing a fruit in us. And what it is is this. We have experienced the mercy and forgiveness and righteousness of Jesus Christ and now we are going to be merciful. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And I would say that mercy comes from mercy, right? When we've been shown mercy, we can be merciful. And then there's going to be more mercy that comes on that. Don't we want mercy? This is how we show mercy. And this, this is the next part of my... Uh, Larry read some of this earlier. Uh, you can listen along or go to Isaiah 58. This is what he read. He read it in its entirety. I'm going to read part of it. What does it look like to show mercy to your neighbor, to have compassion? What, why are we doing this? So we're going to look at the how and then the why associated with, uh, with mercy. In Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 6, uh, the Lord says, isn't this the fast that I choose? Like, you think of all the other things. This is like asking the question, what should I fast from? Or how should I please you? Um, or, or who is my neighbor? What, who should I really love? Jesus says, isn't this what I've chosen from you? The Lord says, uh, to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke and set the oppressed free. This is what mercy does. And, and if you don't believe it, think of yourself when you were oppressed, when you were burdened, when you had this yoke around you that you couldn't free yourself of, and remember mercy. Value the mercy that Jesus showed you when he loosed those ropes, when he broke those chains, when he set you free from the slavery of sin and death. He says, isn't the fast I chose to tear off every yoke? It is not, or is it not to share bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your home, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? He's going on. Here's how you show mercy. And then he answers, Here, here's why this is good. Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. David prayed for this, right? Happy is the one who is considered of the poor. And he went on. He says, the Lord will keep and preserve him. He'll be blessed in the land. You'll not give him over to his enemies' desires. Um, and then he says, the Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. You will heal him in the bed where he lies. When we value mercy, we become merciful. And the mercy we receive, again, is the restoration between you and God. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of reconciliation. And, and we should all understand and know that, that we in our own sin have separated ourselves, have broken that fellowship with God. But God is wanting to take that yoke away through mercy that we might be restored. So David is, is telling us to value mercy because it leads to restoration, not only for us, but for those that we have mercy on. Isaiah, speaking to the Lord, speaking, saying the same thing, that this is going to bring restoration he says, uh, going on in verse 9, at that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he'll say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, uh, the finger pointing and malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted. This is what it means to be poor in spirit, but it means to be, be compassionate to one another. So, so we do that, the way we speak to one another. Then it says, then again, why your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like that of noonday. When you and I value mercy, it's going to shine and show brightly. When we're still wandering around wondering, well, do I really need to love them? Are they really my neighbor? Is, oh, show me who my neighbor is. We have no concept of actually being a merciful neighbor at that point. But he says, the Lord, the light needs to shine in this darkness. And he says, the Lord will always lead you. 
He'll satisfy you in a parched land. Don't you want that? I want that. I long, if I value mercy, he's going to satisfy us in a parched land. He's going to strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will, here's the words, I love these R words he's going to use here. You're going to rebuild the ancient ruins. So you're going to rebuild. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of the streets where people live. Showing mercy, valuing mercy, brings about restoration. That's what happens. So when we decide that I have received mercy from the Lord because of my, my sin and sorrow and my, my poor, pitiful state, that I hungered and thirsted for his righteousness and he, he showed me mercy. By the way, what is mercy? What would be the definition of mercy? Not getting what you deserve. Not getting, grace is getting what you don't deserve, right? It's like a, a gift. I don't deserve that. Thanks, thanks so much. But mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's what God did in Christ for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You, you didn't deserve that. You didn't earn that. He gave you mercy. He showed mercy. He extended mercy to you that you and I could be restored to fellowship with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. But that mercy that we value so highly in Jesus for us should now be a fruit that's produced through us, to the world around us, that we might be rebuilders, restorers, repairers, and restorers. We must value mercy. God's mercy brings about reconciliation and restoration. And mercy, our mercy then, reveals His mercy to others. So value mercy, number one. Number two, when you think all is lost, pray, longing for restoration. We pray longing for that. That's, that's why we value mercy, because it leads to restoration. So when we think all is lost, we're going to pray longing for restoration. Go back to Psalm 41 with me in verses 4 through 10. Look at verse 4. He, now David is, is saying, I said, I, I recount, he's recounting the prayer he prayed and has prayed so many times. We've heard it over and over. He's recounting it again. He says, I said, Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me. What's he longing for? Healing, restoration. But he goes on, he says, heal me, restore me. I need it, why? For I have sinned against you. See, he does not deserve it, but he appeals to God's what? Mercy, mercy. He prays, longing for his mercy, longing for restoration. And so if we're to pray, here's some areas to pray as we think about praying, longing for restoration. The first would be this, we pray a prayer that would lead to restoration. It must acknowledge our sin, though. When we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I saw this whole world's messed up, this whole place, I can't believe this, oh, they're so bad. It must start, before any of that, it must start where? Right here. Lord, here is how I have sinned against you. Here is how I have not lived or walked in faith. Here is how I have not been dependable. Here is how I have, have been a slanderer. Here is how I have sinned against you, God. And, and we, we say that, we offer that to him because we want restoration and we need mercy then the next part when we talk about the five through nine here when we when we see the the plight we see the the offensive persecution coming towards david uh, what this what should this do for us well hearing about suffering and persecution and betrayal should lead us to pray it should lead us to pray 
So now we focused on ourselves, and now we see how bad it is around the world, how bad it is for our brothers and sisters in Christ, both here and abroad. And what do we do? We pray. We long to pray for them, that, that God would, would intervene, that God would, would restore them, that God would be this, this merciful salve for them and their wounds in that time of need. Verses 5 through 9, My enemies speak maliciously about me. And, he, and this is what they say, When will he die and be forgotten? When one of them comes to visit, he speaks deceitfully. He, then he, he stores up evil in his heart. And then he goes out and talks. I underline these three phrases because of the upcoming series we have, right? Watch your mouth. They, they come in and speak deceitfully. So they whisper sweet lies to you. They, what do they do? They tell you what you want to hear. David saw through it. He knew that they were lying. You really don't like me. You don't care for me. That's not really the case of what's going on. I'm, I'm ill and you're taking advantage of this, right? But they speak deceitfully and they're storing up evil in his heart. And what do you do with that? You go out and what? He says, he goes out and talks. He wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't share with me his concerns. He, he went out and talked instead. This is going to be pretty hard this next series, right? It's tough. But David saw this. This was a reality of the sin against him and the persecution against him and the, and the disloyalty against him. And he says, all who hate me whisper together about me. They plan to harm me. Something awful has overwhelmed him. He won't rise again from where he lies. They're like, how can, we, how can we get him while he's down? How can we let this take him out and no one will really wonder what, what might have happened? Then in verse 9, even my friend whom I trusted the one who ate my bread. These people, this is like close confidants, right? Even that person has raised his heel against me. See, when we hear stuff like this, we need to be like, wow, that, that's, that's rough. I, we need to pray for those who are being afflicted in that. Pray that there would be restoration. Pray that God would come and um, would, would save the day, would win the day. Jesus also quoted this verse. He understood what it was like, Right? And so the words of Psalm 41, uh, then what in verse 9, find their fullest fulfillment then, not in David's life, but in David's greater son, Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus of the house and line of David, when, when he speaks of his own betrayer, Judas. He says in John 13, 18, I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those who I've chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. Now, Jesus being Jesus knew that this person was not a friend whom he trusted. He was just the one who ate his bread and would raise his heel against him. But it was fulfilled all the way down. That, that, that David was not the only one that would be experiencing this. That you and I aren't the only ones that experienced this. That Jesus Christ experienced this. In fact, he, he did it willingly. That scripture would be fulfilled ultimately with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So that you and I could receive the mercy of God in spite of of betrayal, in spite of betrayal. What else do we see? Verse 10. But you, Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up. Then I will repay them. It's like I want to get even. We hear that right there, right? Here's what it should, we should long for. If we're praying and longing for restoration, what we pray, acknowledging our sin, right? We know that we have messed up. Then we pray when we hear how horrible things are, or how things are against the believers. We pray for them. And then finally, when we, when we want that the idea, that notion to get even, we, we do this. There should be a desire in us to pray for what is right and just to take place. We should pray that way. When we long for restoration, we pray longing for restoration. God, I pray that things would be made straight. Last week, I talked about the Lord's Prayer again briefly, right? 
What do we pray for? We pray, God, your, your name is holy. You're to be revered. You're to be honored. You're, the, you're where the buck stops. And then we say what? Your kingdom come, your will be done. We, we, aren't, we don't want to settle for what's going injustice that's going on. We want his justice, his mercy, him to come forward and for him to win out. We, he, we pray for what is right. We pray for what is just. Don't, don't you yearn for that? Don't you? I, yeah, I long for that. I don't long for it so much that I'm going to work to get even, but I long for it that God would reveal his justice and his righteousness and that things would be made right and his mercy would be seen. I want us to turn with me to, to Romans chapter 8, if you would, please. Romans 8. It was hard, this, this message, as I started getting some of these texts, they were so long, I'm like, how do I cut it out? I just don't want to cut it out, so I just didn't add a lot of other ones. But Romans 8, starting in verse 18, I think it's really important for us to see this, this groaning, this longing for restoration in the New Testament here. So Romans 8, beginning in verse 18, and we'll go through 28. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. What's he saying? It's really bad here, but it's nothing compared to glory. What's going to, glory is going to be amazing, and what we're going to experience is, is going to just blow our minds. Yes, this is tough, but we're going to live. Four, in verse 19, four, the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Like, I, I want to see Jesus' kingdom fulfilled. And that's the creation. Now we're talking about the trees and the mountains and the grass and the rivers. We're, we're talking about all of creation has this yearning within. Not just you and I when we think all hope is lost. All of creation looks around like all hope is lost, man. We are longing, yearning for what's to come. Where was I? There it is. Uh, 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of the one of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. So here, this is what happened. God's creation was subject, subjected to futility. When sin entered the world, death entered the world, and everything has just been like, oh, since then. Can you say that with me? Oh, you feel that? That groan like, oh, this is not like it should be. Right? Some of us do that every morning when we roll out of bed. <laughs> oh, right? Or you sit too long during a sermon. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Verse 22. Yeah, now I've done it. Here we go. <laughs> get it out. Get it out. Yeah. Verse 22. Yeah. My alarm's usually in my stomach. It's like, oh man, it's hungry, right? Okay, for we know, verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. That's how bad it hurts. That's that groan. Like all of creation sees the futility. Like, it's like labor pains for all of creation. But not only that, but we ourselves, not just the trees and the mountains, we ourselves who have the Spirit as a first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting Eagerly waiting, right? Longing, groaning for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. What do we do? We long for, we groan for restoration. That's what we want. We're longing for that restoration. It goes on. Now, in this hope, we are saved. Amen? In the hope of that restoration. That, that's understanding the mercy of God. Understanding the gospel is not about the, the today only. It's about the forever and the restoration that is to come. We, we groan, uh, eagerly waiting the redemption of our body. Now, in this hope, we are, we are saved. Uh, but hope that is seen is not hope. 
Because we hope for, or, or, but because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait with patience. So we know it's coming, but we don't see it happening. That's why we groan, right? And it's coming. We wait with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also, by the way, for us to wait with patience means we have to, like, you ever do that? Like, God, I pray that you make me more patient. And what does he do? He makes you wait. Right? It, when, when we pray for something, he's like, I'm going to give you lots of opportunities to practice patience then, right? So if we are practicing this patience, so if we're waiting and longing patiently for the redemption to, uh, to come, that means right now, we're going to practice patiently waiting and longing in the middle of this junk that we live in, right? Okay. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses because we do not know what we ought to pray, right? For, our, or, uh, for as we should. We don't, we don't know. Somebody went off the words. I love this. I, we, I made sure we concluded this because our point is to pray longing for restoration. But sometimes we don't know what to pray. We don't know. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. We just had an inexpressible groaning. And when we come to the Lord and just go, oh, he takes that and he makes an, an even more inexpressible groaning on our behalf to the Father in heaven. He prays for us. He intercedes with inexpressible groanings. And he, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Pray. We should pray longing for restoration, even when we don't have the words. I, I can't even tell you how many times a week I just, I just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I drive up to a home or I, I'm about to meet with someone or, or it's, the heavy stuff is like, Lord, I need you. I need you. And some of it's just like, oh, so I'll do that. Actually, in the office, I'll do that. And Chris Adlard will be around. And she, her, her phrase to me, it's, it's, it goes, says often, that was a heavy sigh. That's my groaning. And I know as I, as at, right after that sigh, I know the Lord Jesus is interceding on my behalf to the Father for whatever is to come. I, I, and I, I don't live in a sigh. I live in what makes me sigh, but I live in the hope of the glory of God because of his mercy and kindness, and I long, I long for the redemption. In verse 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We can groan, but we are praying for yearning for the restoration that is to come. Number three, when you think all Hope is lost. Delight yourself in the Lord. It delights him. Delight yourself in him. It delights him. Look at verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 41. Hopefully you're back there still. Verses 11 and 12. By this, I know that you delight in me. By, by what? Lord, you're, you're going to be gracious to me. And, 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 right, and, and they're going to get their, their justice. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy does not shut his mouth, in, or, or sorry, my enemy's my enemy does not shut shout in triumph over me. I'm going to read that again. By this I know you delight in me. My enemy does not shout in triumph over me. Right? That, we have groanings all up and down all the time. Right? How do we know the Lord <laughs> delights in us? We're still alive. We still have a hope in Him. You supported me because of my integrity, and you set me in your presence forever. 
See, God was pleased with David, and we see it from the very beginning of this passage. Uh, we're, he was pleased with David because he had confessed his sin, and he had appealed to the Lord for mercy. See, when you and I are poor in spirit and we're mournful uh, over our sin and we confess our sin and we come to him in humble meekness with absolute emptiness, longing, hungering for his righteousness, he is pleased, delighted to save us. He is delighted to rescue us. He is delighted to forgive us. And that's, he was delighted with David. It wasn't because David was this awesome character who did all these amazing things and had this resume that's like, how can you ignore this? I am, I've got to like a guy like that. No, the Lord does not delight in all of our little works. He delights in you and I coming to him, confessing our sin and confessing our need for him. He wants to forgive you. He loves you. When we try our best to live under the rule and the authority of God's word and we go to God's word as our source, it becomes very clear that there is always going to be a necessity for you and I to be confessing our sin, right? How many of you have lived up to God's word this week? Right? Yeah, we, we know we, we're, we're fallible. We know we're not perfect. We, we want to know him more. and We want to be forgiven and live uh, in a restored relationship with him. We have to confess and we repent. And as we confess and repent of our sin, the Lord delights in that. And then David talks about, I want him to be in your presence forever, supported in your presence forever. David, talking about that, uh, he's come to realize, he comes to understand and know that he is standing firmly then in the care of the Lord. When the Lord delights to forgive you because you have turned to him in faith and repentance, we are standing now securely and firmly in the care of the Lord. We're forgiven. We're healed. We're restored to communion with God. And that's what David prayed for, right? God, show me mercy. I, I'm wanting to be restored. I want to be healed. I, I want this to be made right in my life. We see that played out also in Psalm 18. A few, I don't know, two years ago, we may have, may have done this one. He brought me out to a spacious place. David speaking of the Lord. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You know that the Lord delights to rescue you? He wants to rescue you and me. But what's necessary is repentant faith. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He repaid me according to the cleanness of my hands. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not turned from God to wickedness. Indeed, I let all his ordinances guide me and have not disgraced his statutes. This is a both pre and post thing. David has looked to the word and, and looked to the Lord and seen holiness and righteousness and that he can't live up, so he confesses his sin and finds the mercy of God and finds a restored relationship. And then as he goes about his life, he sees the ways he's in error because he's in God's word and he's delighting in God's word. And now because God has shown him mercy and God is delighted to show him mercy, David delights himself to delight the Lord through his obedience. Not because he's wanting to earn God's delight and earn God's favor, because God has already given him his mercy, because God has already delighted in him. God has already delighted to forgive him. Now he, he, David, is delighted, delighted to look at the word and follow it. I think we have a hang-up sometimes there, don't we? We think, oh, I've, I've received the mercy of God. I have God's mercy, and I love mercy, and, and now he delights in me, and I delight that he delights in me. I bet you do. But don't you want to continue to delight in him by doing what he says? We, we stop there, don't we? We kind of make a cutoff like, well, I, I don't necessarily, it's, it's life and I'm not perfect and one day it'll all be. No, now we, we show our delight in God through delighting to do what he says. 
And if, if, if we just delight in his mercy, anyone delights in mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. My kids love it. But until they start doing what their mom and dad say from a heart that shows they love it, they really haven't got mercy, have they? They really don't quite understand it. And that's where David's at. He wants us to know and understand this is so important that we delight ourselves in the Lord because it delights the Lord. And delighting ourselves in the Lord is living according to His Word. We delight in the Lord because we have turned to Him, the only one that will forgive and show mercy and restore our relationship with Him. And He delights to show that love. He delights to give us that mercy. I want to read a text out of Titus chapter 3. When the kindness of our God and Savior... And his love for mankind appeared. Does that sound like delight and joy? The kindness and love of God? Absolutely. He saved us. In that kindness and love, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness, right? Again, this is not a pre, like if I, if I, I got to delight in the Lord by doing all the things he wants me to do, and then he'll, he'll save me. No, that's not it. He, he was pleased, delighted to come show his love and his mercy to us. Not by works we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, by what the Holy Spirit did in our heart, drawing us into a relationship with him. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, so that having been justified by his grace, having been, this is past tense, right? We're seeing the mercy and love of God that has saved us because we are justified by grace, right? We're saved by faith through grace and in Christ alone. Having been justified, we may now become heirs with the hope of eternal life. It's like we, we're, we get it. We're adopted. We're sons and daughters through faith in Christ. We're sons and daughters of God. He says, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed. So what's, I mean, he says, I insist to those who have believed, to those who have, have been shown mercy, to those who, whom the Lord has delighted to forgive and save, to those now, to those what? Devote themselves, be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. So that once we have delighted to come to Christ out of our mourning and sinfulness and said, God, I need you to be my Savior, he, he, is, he saves us by faith through grace in Christ alone, and he delights to do that. And as we have been saved and justified through faith in Jesus Christ, those who have believed should then show their delight in God by the way they live their lives, careful to devote themselves to good works, to the word of God. Amen? So when you think all is lost, delight in the Lord. It delights him. And I want to end with this verse 13. This is the doxology of book one. Uh, it's, it's likely not part of the original uh, Davidic psalm. It was probably added in there as, a, as an edit later on to close book one, but it is absolutely relevant and absolutely scriptural and we should be held in honor as well. Um, it was added to, to make the main thing the main thing. At the end of this psalm, at the end of book 41, as you and I come to a close uh, this summer, right, and, and we go into something different, we close here, the main thing in our lives must be the eternal praise and glory of God. That, and all of these things, as we, we think all hope is lost, it's not. And everything that we do, especially as we delight in the Lord, because it delights Him, it brings honor and glory to Him. As we value mercy 
We show mercy to the world and it brings glory to him. The main thing in our lives must be the eternal praise and glory of God. When God answers our cry for help, when he restores our heart, he does so not to make us more comfortable. He does it to bring glory to his name. So let's end with this Psalm 41, 13. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. From everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Stand with me as we continue to worship the Lord and respond through song. Father, we, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for the mercy that you have been pouring out on us. And God, that you delight to extend mercy to those hearts who come to you in repentant faith and believe and God, as we do that, we, we come knowing that we're made right with God and restored to a right relationship. But God, our endeavor now is to reveal His mercy, reveal the glory of God to the world around us. And God, not only that, we want to continue to show you that we delight in you and we want to make you smile. So help us then live according to your word. Not our own thoughts, not our own whims or passions or pleasures, but according to your word. We know that mercy begets mercy. We want to honor you with the way we're merciful, and the way we handle mercy. We thank you, we give you glory and praise, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.